Today's reading is the whole of Exodus chapter 32. It's on page 90 in the Bibles. When the people saw that Moses was so long coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, let's make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you a great, into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people when you brought them out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of covenant of law, covenant law <coughs> in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not a sound of victory. It's not a sound of defeat. It's a sound of singing, I'll die here. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. 
He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewellery, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Moses saw the people were running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control, so, and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Hesse, for reading that so well. Uh, let's pray and let's keep the passage open in front of us so it's page 90 if you've closed your Bibles let's pray Father thank you so much for your word and we do pray please that you would teach us through it help us to be ready to listen and to obey you Amen well some Sunday services go really well Uh, others don't not quite so well But however bad services have gone, I've I've never noticed, never witnessed one that goes this badly, that results in 3,000 people dead and and the spread of a deadly plague. And that's what happens in Exodus 32. It's written down as a warning for us. Uh, The New Testament tells us uh, the warning is about idolatry. The Israelites made a statue of a golden calf and bowed down to it. And we are to learn not to commit idolatry. And you look around maybe and you think, 
well, I don't see any golden calves, so maybe we've learned that lesson. Maybe we don't need a sermon on this passage. But we're going to see that idolatry is far more subtle than that and is something we need to be warned about. As we look at Exodus 32, we're going to uh, ask three things. What is idolatry? How does God react to it? And what's the solution? And you can see those on the back of your notice sheet. So the first, what is idolatry? Okay, what is idolatry? There are two kinds of idolatry that, uh, that come up in the passage, and the Israelites managed to do both of them. We're going to think about two kinds of idolatry, and the first is at the start of the passage. Let me just give you a little bit of context. The Israelites uh, have been brought through the wilderness uh, to the mountain of the Lord. They've uh, been brought out of Egypt, uh, out of slavery, gone through the wilderness, uh, and come to the mountain of the Lord, that is, to Mount Sinai. And the Lord has descended on the mountain, and Moses went up the mountain, if you remember, God and man meeting, and God spoke his commandments to Moses and to the people. And if you remember, well, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments in the all-age slots as well. The first of the commandments was, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second, you shall not make and bow down to an image. Well, there were other laws as well, as you remember. And Moses then came down the mountain and told the people the laws. And they said in one voice in chapter 24, everything the Lord has said, we will do. So Moses goes back up the mountain. And we've been hearing how the Lord then instructed Moses how to make the tabernacle and about the priesthood. But while Moses is up the mountain, we now, in chapter 32, the the camera, as it were, goes down the mountain to see what's going on in the camp. And it is not good. Moses has been gone for quite some time, for 40 days. And the people are getting restless. And they ask Aaron to make gods for them. Verse 1 Uh, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered round Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Here's the first kind of idolatry. It is worshipping other gods. It's kind of the obvious kind of idolatry, isn't it? replacing the Lord God with something else. That's what they call for. Make us gods. And that may be another deity, so worshipping the gods of other religions. Uh, but other gods might also, we might worship don't have to be formal deities like Allah or Vishnu. Uh, the Bible makes it clear we can replace the Lord with all sorts of things and worship them. Money, approval, sex, family, work, a whole host of things. Many of them are good things uh, which become idols when we make them ultimate things in our lives, when we worship them. 
And what we see in the worship of the golden calf, we see in the worship of idols today, the worship of other gods. So they had to sacrifice to this god. They sacrificed their gold. Verses 2 and 3, you see, Aaron said to them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. It was costly to worship this idol. They gave their gold earrings. It was a financial sacrifice. But where did this gold come from that, that they were giving? Well, the reality is it's probably the gold that they were given when they left Egypt. See, when they left slavery, being slaves in Egypt, God told the Israelites, as you leave, ask your neighbours for gold and silver. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? Could you imagine the Israelites, as they leave, they think, God's told us we've got to go to our neighbours and ask for their gold. Knock on the door. Hi there, what are you doing? Well, we're all leaving. All right. Can I have your gold? And the Lord made it such that they wanted to give it. So the answer was, yeah, 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 you can have my gold. Here's a gold and here's my gold earrings. And they took their gold. But now the people are using that gold to make a false god, an idol. You see, they used the things that actually the Lord had given to them to worship something else. And people will do that today, won't they? Using things God gives in worship of something else. So for the sake of fulfilment at work, people will sacrifice their health or their family through long hours. For sex, people will sacrifice their marriage. Or for the God of approval, we will sacrifice truth and integrity. For the sake of worshipping an idol, we will sacrifice good things. Many of them things God has given to us. But do you also notice what they say about these idols? Not only do they use what God's given them to worship this idol, they also, verse 4, see what it says. Aaron took what they handed him and made into an idol, uh, made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he, they said, "These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt." They ascribe to their idol, to this golden calf, what God has done for them. The Lord rescued them, but they say it was this calf. And we can do the same kind of thing. I wonder the good things in your life. What do you put them down to? Your friendships, your, your work successes or other things. What do you put those things down to? Who do you give credit to them? Very often it's ourselves, isn't it? We can stand over our lives like in the Old Testament King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel who walked on his palace roof in Babylon saying, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my might and for the glory of my majesty? That's how we can look out on our lives. We credit ourselves. And so in the worship of other gods... We can use what God gives us to worship that God and we can ascribe to that God 
what actually God has done. Worshipping other gods. But the Bible, but this also has another kind of idolatry. We need to see the second kind of idolatry. The first is worshipping other gods. But Aaron announces something quite surprising in verse 5. Did you notice it? When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. There's going to be a festival to the Lord. It seems he is now saying that maybe this statue and the worship of it is in fact the worship of the Lord God. Maybe Aaron's trying to make the best of a bad situation and say it's the Lord. But of course by doing this, if they're claiming this is the Lord, if they're claiming they're worshipping the Lord, then they're worshipping the Lord in a way which is disobedient to the Lord's commandments, aren't they? And this festival, it seems, that they then have to the Lord involves, well, all kinds of things, doesn't it? Verse 6 tells us uh, they had the festival, second half of the verse, afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Revelry sounds Shakespearean almost, doesn't it? But actually there's There's nothing funny about it. It, it, It's going to involve a lot of drink uh, and probably involved sexual activity too. The the term sort of has that that connotation. It's a wild drunken orgy that they get involved in. Aaron claims they're worshipping the Lord. Are they worshipping the Lord? Are they actually worshipping the Lord? No, they're not, are they? They say they are, but it isn't the Lord they're worshipping because they've rejected the word of the Lord, haven't they? They've rejected God's commandments. They're disobeying how God has told them to worship him. And so they're making it up themselves, making a statue, indulging in an orgy. And do you notice, by the way, the advantages of worshipping an image? Uh, There are advantages to it. I'm not encouraging you to do it. But there are advantages. Because the thing about an image is, it can't talk back to you. It is dumb. It's just there. It can't tell them what to do. Can't give them commandments. Can't give them warnings. But the contrast with the actual Lord couldn't be more stark. Because the Lord is a speaking God. When Moses is told how to make the tabernacle that he will set up for the worship of the Lord, the Lord does not tell him to make a statue of the Lord, ever. We've already seen this when we thought about the tabernacle. No, at the heart of the tabernacle, what was there? Not a statue of God, but a box. And in the box, the covenant law, the stone tablets, that Moses would be given. At the heart of the tabernacle is the word of the Lord, God's word. See, the second kind of idolatry is this, claiming to worship the Lord but rejecting his word. Because if we reject his word, it isn't the Lord we're worshipping. Do you see that? 
let, let me just give you an illustration just to, to help a bit more with that. Imagine I met you on the door. I mean, you don't have to imagine it. We can do it later. But uh, imagine I met you on the door and you said to me, Hi, my name is Bob. I grew up in America. I'm six foot tall and I hate soccer. And I said, well, I, I'm going to introduce you to someone else. And I said, you know, this is Bob. He grew up in Russia. He's five foot five and supports Chelsea Football Club. Have I introduced you? No. I mean, I got the name right. But I've misrepresented you, haven't I? And actually, when someone seriously misrepresents us, we get very upset about that. And rightly so. So too with the Lord. If we reject his word, we aren't worshipping the Lord, but rather something we've made up. Now, this is, this is incredibly relevant for us, isn't it? How, can, how might we fall foul of this? Clearly, if we were to make a stature and claim it was the Lord, yeah, we'd be falling foul of that. Don't do it. But we do it too when we pick and choose which bits of God's word we want to keep and which to throw away. Whenever we reject the bits of the Bible we don't like, we are chiseling for ourselves an idol. So we might say, well, I, I don't like what the Bible says about sex and relationships. At which point we're chiseling away making an idol here's the issue with the church of England isn't it many of the bishops are rejecting what the bible says about sex and the issue is are we worshipping the same god well if we reject the bible we're not worshipping the god of the bible Come along on the Tuesday evening for the Lent course and we'll think more about this. See what the Bible says about sexuality and about uh, relationships. But we shouldn't just apply this to others, to others out there. We've got to apply this to ourselves. Yes, if we reject what the Bible says about relationships and sex and that kind of thing, yes, we're chiseling away. And if we reject what God says about how we should use our money, we're chiseling away. And all sorts of things where we might say, yeah, I don't like that. We're chiseling and chiseling. And in the end, actually, what we end up with when we step back is not the Lord God but an idol. And actually, if you step back, it's not an idol in the shape of a calf, is it? We often end up with an idol in the shape of me. It looks a lot like me, agreeing with what I think. So, two kinds of idolatry. Worshipping other gods and claiming to worship the Lord but rejecting his word. Now we've got two more points. They are going to be briefer. Um, and we've got a lot of passage to cover. So we are going to have to skim a bit. The second thing uh, we want to ask is, how does the Lord respond to idolatry? And it's very stark, isn't it? As Hesse was reading, I'm sure it struck you very strongly. 
the way God responds, I mean, it's in various places, but actually it, verses 7 to 10 um, shows us what it is. We just focus in on verse 9 and 10. I'm going to read those for us. The Lord says, I've seen these people. He says to Moses, they're a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So their disobedience means, here's the Lord's response to, to idolatry. Their disobedience means the Lord is angry with them and says he will destroy them. God is angry. God's anger is not like our anger. Our anger, when we see someone who's angry, often it's, very, it's uncontrollable anger. It can be very ugly. And uh, someone who is hot-headed and unpredictable can be horrible to be around. Uh, we had a teacher like that at my school. If you're a teacher, I hope you're not like this. Uh, but he was just unpredictable. You didn't know what you were going to get in the lesson, whether he was going to be angry, whether he was going to be nice, whatever. It was horrible going into his lesson. You felt at least if there were teachers who were strict every time, you knew what they were going to be like. It was predictable. This guy was unpredictable and it was horrible. God is not unpredictable in this. But don't take away from his severity. And immediately we have a test for us. Will we hear God's word about how he reacts or will we reshape him and say well I don't like a God who's angry no this is how he responds to idolatry and of course if we say well I don't think God should respond like that what we're saying is God I don't think you should be upset when people misrepresent you of course he should we get upset shouldn't God but of course we have a bigger problem than that God, uh, than with just the concept of God's anger. After all, where are you and I in this story? It's a game we often play when we read a Bible passage. I mean, we might do it subconsciously, but actually what we want to do is say, where am I in this passage? Who am I? Who are you? Well, we often like to think of ourselves as the hero of the passage, uh, the hero of the story, the hero of the film. Our temptation is to think maybe I'm a bit like Moses well if we're honest we know we're not we're like the Israelites aren't we the problem with idolatry is we've all done it replacing God or worshipping the Lord and rejecting his word there's something of the Israelites in each one of us and so the problem is that his anger that we see in verse 9 is what you and I deserve Okay, so what's the solution? We've seen what idolatry is. We've seen how the Lord responds. Uh, and he responds with anger. What's the solution? Well, the answer is the mediator. Which in this case is Moses. And maybe there's a hint of the fact that God wanted Moses to be the mediator in what he says in verse 10. Because God says, um, I'm going to destroy these people. But he does so, he's, to begin with, he says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Leave me and I'll destroy them. So you're not going to leave, are you? Maybe there's a hint there that God's saying to Moses, Moses, you're the mediator. You're someone who needs to stay here. And Moses, throughout the rest of the passage, becomes this mediator between God and people. Like I say, we're going to have to speed over this bit. 
but to begin with, he pleads the case of the people to God. So verses 11 to 14, Moses pleads with the Lord not to destroy the Israelites. And how does he do it? Well, one of the things he does, you notice in verse um, uh, verse 13, is that he quotes God's word back to him. He says, remember your servants Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So Moses, even though the people have rejected God's word, Moses as the mediator is reflecting back to God his word. He's saying, this is what you promised. Moses is quoting God's word back to him. And he then goes down the mountain after the Lord relents, where he doesn't then say to the people, guys, it's all right, we're okay, I've managed to, you know, to put in a good word, we're all right. No, rather he represents God to the people, he's the mediator. He's represented the people to God, now God to the people. When he sees what's going on, his anger burns, verse 19. Literally, halfway through the verse there, it says, his anger burned. Well, that takes you back to the Lord's response. This is how the Lord reacted. Moses is angry, just as the Lord was. And he breaks the tablets, which is very significant, and he seeks to rid the people of idolatry. Idolatry must be got rid of. So he grinds up the, the, the statue and makes them drink it. He asks Aaron what was going on, and you get that comedy line. Thank you, Hesse, for reading it so well. I mean, there was a little, little bit of laughter. It is funny, isn't it? That Aaron, you know, says, well, you know, this is what happened. They gave me the earrings, and, you know, we threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. As if, who knows how that happened? When you know from earlier in the passage, actually, it, it didn't happen like that. No, it's an excuse, isn't it? It's uh, passing the buck. It's kind of, it wasn't anything to do with me. It just kind of happened. And then you get the bit which is very hard, isn't it? Moses stands at the entrance to the camp and says, whoever is for the Lord come to me, they go to, and those who do, they go through the camp killing people. 3,000 people die. What are we to make of that? Well, our time is almost up, so, you know, we're going to have to... <laughs> I'm afraid we are going to go on slightly longer. But we can't deal with this in great detail. First of all, notice that it is in obedience to the Lord. Verse 27, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side. So this is God telling them to do this. So the issue is really that the Lord commanded them to do it. Uh, the Lord does not command his New Testament people to respond to idolatry in this way. We are not to go out killing people. But he does call us to heed the warning and to get rid of idolatry. But this is here to show us the horror of sin and the judgment it deserves. It is, of course, much less than God was going to do. Verse 10, God was going to wipe them all out apart from Moses. Here we see it is fewer than that. But it is still horrifying, isn't it? We should be shocked at this. And we should see the seriousness of sin and specifically of idolatry. Since Moses is representing God to the people, what we see here is the partial carrying out of God's judgment. So, Moses represents God, the people to God and God to the people. But there's one thing that Moses can't do. Verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. 
Moses knows that the sin has not actually been dealt with. The remaining Israelites are still guilty. The punishment still hangs over them. There is unresolved tension. He wants to see if he can bring atonement. So he goes to the Lord. Verse 31. Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. That's an incredible moment. Moses before the Lord is saying, Take me in their place. Lord, please forgive them. But if not, condemn me. Me for them, the innocent for the guilty. And the Lord says, no. Verse 33, the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Moses, you can't do that. You're a mediator, but you're not the mediator. But one day, one day, someone will come who will be able to. Moses here is like a stand-in on a film set. Apparently on film sets you get stand-ins so that the the star doesn't have to be there when they're just setting the lights and doing that kind of thing. You have the stand-in who stands in, in place of the star and so they can get it all sorted out and then the star comes out to do their turn. Moses here is a stand-in, but he's not the real thing. He's getting us ready for the arrival of the star, of Jesus, who came and perfectly mediates for us, fully man, representing God to us, sorry, representing us to God, and fully God, so revealing God to us. He came... And he did deal with idolatry. He went to the temple and he, over, and he threw over the tables uh, and he judged the Pharisees for their idolatry. But he also came to be the mediator who could take our place, who could take our guilt for us, who could bring atonement by substituting for us, taking the anger of God when he died on the cross in our place so our sin could be dealt with. Here is the solution for our idolatry. Here is how atonement can be made for us. Jesus, the perfect mediator. We must turn to him and away from idols. And when we do so, we are washed clean. Atonement fully made. As it says in Romans 3, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He is the sacrifice of atonement taking our place. Will we turn from idols and turn to Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the warnings in your word. Thank you that you reveal to us what sin is. You reveal to us what idolatry is. And Father, if we're honest, we see it in our hearts. Thank you that you reveal to us how you respond to idolatry, how serious it is. But thank you that you provided the mediator, Jesus, to die for us, that we might have atonement that we might come to you 
and be forgiven. Help us, Father, to turn away from idols and turn to Jesus and know his forgiveness. Amen.